Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, this morning we are beginning a new sermon series. We're going to be in this for the next four weeks for the whole month of November. And the name and title of this series is God of Miracles. God of Miracles. And what I would hope to do in just the uh, first couple of moments here is to encourage you to raise your expectation of who God is and what he can do in your life. One of the interesting things that you find in scripture is, is you don't really see anything in there that would suggest that God couldn't do something. Uh, you don't find anything in there that really diminishes him or says that there's a limit to what he can do and how he can express his goodness, his power, his authority over creation that is his to begin with. But it is interesting when you study the way that people have an opportunity to experience or not experience that in their lives. In fact, in several places in Jesus' own ministry, there were limitations not to what he could do, but what he could do in and among a particular group of people, not because he didn't have the power to, but because they were closed to the reception of. And so as we start talking about the idea that God is a God of the supernatural, the God of the miraculous, that he can bring transformation in your life and in uh, your relationships and our community. As we have that expectation put out in front of us, I would encourage you to, to lean into a faith that grows. Lean into an expectation that God not only can, but will. Not only can, but that he will. In Psalm chapter 77, there's a verse that's our anchor verse for this, uh, for this series. We're going to get to it actually at the end of our time today. But in verse 14, the psalmist makes this really bold declaration, and he says this. He says, you are the God who performs miracles, and you display your power among the peoples. And it's a very bold, not only declaration, but expectation of who God is and what God can do. And for, for, my own, uh, for, for, for my own experience in my life, I have seen uh, God move in miraculous ways. Uh, I've experienced uh, uh, miracles of protection. Uh, I've experienced miracles of provision. I've seen the weather changed as we've prayed and contended for certain things. I've watched hostile authorities that were opposed to the things of God changed their hearts and become proponents of that. I've seen miracles of reconciliation where there were relationships that were so fractured and so broken you would have never, ever even dreamed that God could do something to reunite and I've seen that miraculously done. I've seen miracles of redemption. I've seen miracles of God's timing. I've seen miracles of his favor. I've seen miracles of deliverance. I've seen miracles of salvation. And I've seen miracles of healing. And so many other ways that when my eyes were aware to who God was and what he was doing, I was able to recognize those things. And even just a couple of weeks ago, I had a young man who's an athlete at NJC 
He had been injured in uh, an athletic contest and had taken such a, a severe hit to his knee that he was expecting, and they were expecting, uh, ligament tears and damage, meniscus damage, and he was fearful that he would not actually play again. And he came to me before church, and he was on crutches, and he was all bandaged up, and he said, hey, pastor, will you, will you pray with me? And I said, let's wait until after service. I'll go with you to the prayer station, and we'll do that, and we moved into that place. And so after service, we went back to the back corner and we began to pray and contend. But he was very, very expectant. He had an expectation that God was going to do something. And he was very specific in what he was asking God to do. He said, here's what has happened. And here is what the fears of everybody is. And here's what I want to pray. I want to pray that my knee's not damaged. I want to pray that my MRI that's coming on Tuesday, that it's clean. I want to pray that God heals me and restores me. And so we began to do that. And it wasn't as simple as just coming and saying, hey, pray for this. And as we prayed for it, patting us on the back and saying, all right, I'm out of here. Let's see if God does something. As we began to pray, he began to lean in in faith that God was going to do something. And so he began to try to put weight on his leg. He began to try to move and to get movement back in his hip. And before he left the corner, there was uh, an ability to put weight. There was movement that was being restored. There was a sense that there was healing taking place. And he said, we're going to continue to pray for this. And when I go to my MRI on Tuesday, I'm going to believe that it's clean. And so on Tuesday, he goes from there and he goes to his MRI and it comes back completely clean. No ligament, no meniscus, no, no problems in the knee. And he's texting back and forth and said, hey, pastor, all of that's good. Now on Thursday, I've got an x-ray because they just want to make sure there's no bone fragments or, or fractures or, or things that they weren't able to see. So my MRI's clean. I want my x-ray to be clean too. And so we're texting back and forth and we're moving and contending and praying for God to move in that. And he goes in on Thursday and he has his x-ray and his x-ray comes back clean. And he's, he's texting back, hey, pastor, x-ray's clean. And he's pumped. He's pumped. God healed me, and he's going to finish the healing as I move into physical therapy. And so this isn't somehow circumventing the, the, the medical field. It's, it's, it's really complementing. We believe that God can do what only he can do, and then we lean into the things that we are able to do as he has gifted us in that field. But it was very, very clear to him very, very clear to him, God healed me, and he's going to complete that healing through this process. But there was an expectation that God was going to move there, and what he was facing was really an impossible situation. He couldn't do anything to affect his own healing. He couldn't kind of take things into his own hands, and the diagnosis, at least at the preliminary stage, was something where it was like, hey, you should lower your expectation about what's going to happen here. And instead, he responded in faith. When we face impossible situations, we have an opportunity to go to the God who does the impossible. And many of us, we know that. You and I, we know this. Almost intuitively, we would know that God can do something, but very frequently... We doubt that he will. Very frequently, we doubt that we will. 
And I would suggest to you that we've all found ourselves in difficult places that, that really need to dramatically change, that we need a miraculous move of God in our lives. And sometimes that has to do with our physical body. Sometimes that has to do with God healing us. Sometimes that has to do with our hearts and our minds and our souls. Sometimes it has to do with our relationships. Sometimes it has to do with the dire straits of financial provision that we need. There, there are any number of ways that that can be expressed. But for me to say that you and I have challenges in our lives at times where the only thing that is going to sustain us through it is a miraculous move of God. You could identify those things for yourself in each one of your lives. You could probably go back to places that that has been true and God has seen you through, and there are probably stories in this room where right now that is your immediate context, where it's like, Pastor, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. And when we face those moments, what I would suggest to you that in that moment, there is great risk to be overcome by despair. It's a, it's a pivotal moment in a place where we can either respond in faith or we are overwhelmed by an encroaching darkness. And when we respond with doubt and despair, we move into a complacency that's willing to accept things the way that they are, and we begin to entertain the thought that they will not change. And I would suggest to you that if you're in those places right now, or if you are walking with people who are in those moments right now, we need to be reminded, that we need to be reminded that God is a God of miracles, and not only can he, but he will, that we would align our expectations with that. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I would like you to uh, open up your Bible app. If you don't have one of those, you can literally download it in the amount of time it takes me to pray, and you can open up your Bible version of choice. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you today. Lord Jesus described those who are open to your kingdom truths as being people who had eyes to see and ears to hear. Let that be us today, Lord, that we would have a sensitivity in our hearts and our spirits to hear from you. Lord, for places in our lives right now where there are subtleties of doubt or creeping despair, Lord, would the hope, the hope, Lord, of your miraculous intervention be something that drives that out? Lord, may we leave today full of expectation that our God can and he will. In Jesus' name, amen. If your Bible's out, I want to encourage you just to go to uh, Psalm chapter 77, and we're going to spend the whole of our time there in that psalm. Most of what we're going to do is unpack verse by verse, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to Psalm 77 because I think that it's a very helpful, concise psalm in helping us identify some lies that we buy into when we start aligning ourselves with the doubt and de despair that is easily uh, creeping in in these moments of uh, impossibility, these moments of uncertainty. And then at the same time, there's three ways that we can respond in faith that kind of pushes back against those things. And I don't know if you found this to be true in your life or in your journey with Jesus, but there's a lot of push and pull in my life. 
There's a lot of times where there's things in my life or happening around me that begin to push in on truths about who God is and how he might respond in my life. And as that pressure comes, I can either acquiesce to that and be overwhelmed by it, or I can kind of stand in faith and push back against that truth, push back against that encroachment of God's goodness in my life. In fact, that idea of kind of setting your feet and standing against that, that's the picture that Paul gives us in the book of Ephesians, when he talks about putting on the full armor of God. Uh, We mistakenly think about putting on the full armor of God as in we're going to get kind of like outfit, and then we're going to go to war. And when most of what he says is to just stand firm and resist. That it's when we stand firm in the truths of God that we can resist the darkness, the brokenness, the despair, that which would look to overwhelm us and overcome us. And so... This psalm is one that I think is, is really helpful in identifying, again, some of those things that would press against us if you're facing impossibility, and some ways that you can respond in faith because of who God is and what he does. And if you were kind of uh, to look at the structure of this psalm, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to spend the first part of our time there this morning, uh, verses 1 through 9 gets dark. Okay, the psalmist starts with a, a thought and it spirals downward, and you can see where it's going to end up unless it is intervened. And then in verse 10, there's this pivotal moment where there's almost like this spiritual epiphany that switches the perspective and the direction of thought. And in the next uh, uh, group of verses, you have, instead of this downward spiral of despair, you have this hopeful arc that leads toward a certainty of deliverance and redemption. And in that, we are going to encounter three lies, and we're going to encounter three ways we can respond to those in faith. And so we'll begin with verse 1 and 2. The psalmist writes, I cried out to God for help. Well, that actually sounds pretty good, right? I feel like that's a good start. You got to read the rest of the verses to kind of see how this slides. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. Now look at this. And I would not be comforted. See, to me, like it starts out like there's kind of this hope. And this is where a lot of us begin when we have a difficulty in our life, when we're facing a challenge, an impossibility, when we're dealing with something that is clearly insurmountable in our own strength, and we need to see the power of God move. Very frequently, believer, we will. We will go there first, right? Now, we might try our own way for a little bit, but eventually it's going to get us to our knees, and we're going to say, God, I need your help. And you see the psalmist kind of reach out and stretch out in that he's crying out to God. And then there's this picture here of stretching out untiring hands, almost like reaching to dad or stretching to touch or maybe sensing your way in the darkness. But the result of it, I would not be comforted. Now, one way to think about that part of the verse would be as everybody else comes and says, hey, it's all right, just let it go, that maybe that's what it is referring to. But there's also very certainly an expression of as he's crying out and as he's reaching out that there's no comfort, there's no peace as a result of that. And when things get dark, 
When things get difficult, when you and I are facing very real challenges in our lives, oftentimes there's this subtle lie that starts to creep in that says this, God is not listening to you. He's not attentive. He's he's not paying attention. I'm crying out, but there's no answer. I'm crying out, but there's no response. I'm reaching out, but there's no touch. I'm pleading, but there's no peace. And as we wrestle with those roiling emotions that come as a result of that, we begin to entertain this thought. God is not paying attention to me. He's not listening. He's not attentive. My prayers and the concerns, the cries of my heart are falling on deaf ears. Have you, have you ever felt that way? Man, I've been there. I've been in that place where I'm like, God, I'm crying out and you're not answering me. Like I've, I've been in that place. I've entertained this thought and it's, it's a dark thought because it's not one that draws you closer to the Father, is it? It's one that pushes you further away. It's one that tempts you to kind of go into your own route or maybe just give up and just, this is just the way my life is gonna be. I'll always be broken, I'll always be addicted, I'll always be alone, I'll always be in poverty. Like whatever it is that we see, I'll always be sick. I'll always be less than. And you see the psalmist wrestle with that. Now in Psalm 34, there's a, a completely different perspective of how God responds. And in Psalm 34, verse 15, the psalmist there declares with certainty that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Dad sees. He sees you. And his ears are attentive to their cry. See, that's a different statement and belief about who God is and how he Responds, but in Psalm 77, the psalmist doesn't start with that type of certainty. He starts with, Hey, I'm crying out. Is anybody home? And it quickly moves further downward from that initial thought. As soon as we believe that God doesn't care about our situation, our next step is it's, it's, it's a really easy thing to see a slide into this way. In verses 3 and 4, he says this, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled even to speak. And you move from this idea that God's not attentive, that he's not listening, that he doesn't really care about what's going on in your life, and it moves us to this next thought, and it's this, God is actually the cause of it. God, you kept my eyes from closing. There's no rest, there's no peace, there's no respite for me. That when I think of you, I groan. When I try to meditate, I grow weak and faint. The meditation here is not on who God is, the character, the nature, the goodness, the grace of God. It is a meditation on the previous lie that God doesn't care. And it leads us to this place 
where not only is God not attentive to me, if he is paying attention, then he's doing this to me. That he's the cause of my pain and my brokenness. That this impossibility he brought into my life to bring about a sense of loss and less. And when the psalmist moves from that idea, God's not paying attention to the attention he is giving me is negative, then it naturally moves to this next set of verses, verses seven through nine. Will the Lord reject forever? Now God's rejected me. Will he never show his favor again? He's turned his face from me and he's withheld his blessing. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? In fact, what he's saying here is, has his unfailing love in fact failed? Has his promise failed for all time? Is God unfaithful to his promises? Has God forgotten to be merciful? And has he in anger withheld his compassion? See, the subtlety when we're facing impossible situations and kind of the doubt and despair begins to creep in, we begin to entertain thoughts like this, this idea that God's not paying attention, and so that's why my life is dealing with these types of situations or difficulties. Or the attention that God is giving me is negative. He's trying to cause pain in my life to ultimately where the psalmist lands with this idea, God has abandoned me completely. He's abandoned me. And I don't know if you have ever felt those ways in your own life. I have. And it's a, it's a deep struggle to be in that place because I know that God is faithful to his promises. I, I know the things that are true about God, and many of you would as well, but we slide into this idea that God's truths are for everybody else and not for us because he's not paying attention, he's looking to cause pain in our lives, and he has abandoned us. And so we'll ask a question like the psalmist that says, has his love vanished? Well, I know that God is love, and he loves others, but he just doesn't love me. Has God's promises failed? Well, no, I know that he's faithful to his promises. He's just not faithful to me. And we get swallowed up in darkness in our hearts. And we have a diminished faith. Because even when we begin to give voice to what we know is true of God, we would say, Pastor, I know that God can do this but we don't believe he will for us. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. We can do a whole series on the God of miracles, and we can talk about ways that God has miraculously demonstrated that in others' lives, and you can be encouraged by that and even celebrate it and walk out with the idea that God would never do anything like that for you because of these types of thoughts, because of these types of expectations, that somehow God has reserved less just for you and everybody else gets to enjoy his goodness. 
And so you can see the psalmist really wrestling with things that I think that we all wrestle with at times, especially when we don't have answers to our why question. And we don't see an end to the difficulty that we're in. And when the situation is very dire and without a miraculous intervention by God is not going to end well. And so it's easy for us to slide into this place, but then just as you would expect it to continue to spiral downward, just as you would expect this psalmist to just go into a dark night of crisis in their soul, verse 10 creates a shift in what's happening. Verse 10 interrupts that skid, and it says this, then I thought, it was almost like, It came to me. I was reminded of. Maybe there was even divine inspiration in this, a grace and kindness of God to whisper to him through his spirit. But then I thought, to this I will appeal. Hey, I've got got a different recourse. To this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. And that statement, that statement means that there was like this epiphanal moment where, you know what, all of this is my present reality. All of this is how I feel. All of this is what I'm being overwhelmed by. But what I'm going to appeal to is the favor of God. That idea of the right hand of the Most High. The favored place. I'm going to appeal to the favor of God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw myself on the mercy of God's favor. And then all of a sudden, the psalm moves into a hopeful arc. It goes in a completely different direction. And what you have is you have potential responses of faith that you and I can kind of step into, can lean into, that will kind of stop that, that skid into despair and to send us in a new trajectory. And the first thing that you see is in verse 11, he says this, as a result of that, I'm going to appeal to the favor of God. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. And one of the ways that you and I respond in faith to push back the doubt and the despair that would suggest to us that God cannot or will not move miraculously in our lives is we remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. That's one of the reasons you are always encouraged to know the Word of God. If you've grown up in church, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably had some type of pastor and leader encourage you to know the Word of God. And most of the time, we think of that in terms of just kind of memorizing verses and then making sure that the behavior of our life aligns with biblical morality. Those things are good, and those things are helpful. But when you're dealing with a slide into despair, just kind of having a memory verse or feeling like, hey, don't feel like that, is not going to be as helpful as you remembering somebody else in Scripture who was in a similar circumstance that God intervened in their life in a miraculous way. See, from front to back, the whole of Scripture is story. It's narrative of men and women in real times, in real places, with real problems, just like you and I, facing the impossible, the improbable, 
And then you have all throughout Scripture this little phrase that says, but God, dot, 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 and then everything changes. And when we are reminded of those stories, we are encouraged with the possibilities in our own life. It's the reason why your testimony is so important. And not just your salvation testimony. The moments of God's intervention, the moments of God's goodness, the moments of God's display of power and might and majesty in your life. Why those things are so important. Why me sharing a story of, of praying for somebody at the prayer station and seeing that take effect. Why those things are important. Because if God can do it in the lives of others, he can certainly do it in our lives as well. We remember what God has done. One of the most interesting things about that Sunday, praying back at the prayer station for that young man for his knee and for just his progressive healing in that, is he began to share stories of where he had prayed for people who had been healed. Right? This, yeah, we were not ready for this. Right? We're back there with this young man, and, and we think we're going to be bringing uh, ministry to him. We're going to bring encouragement to him. And he begins to talk about ways that God has used him on his college campus to do that very thing. He shared a story with me of when he went into the bathroom and somebody was basically taking up all the space and taking their sweet time, trying to brush their teeth. I think it was with the wrong arm because the other shoulder was hurt. He was an athlete and he was injured. And he said, hey, uh, can you speed this up? And that wasn't going to happen. And so he said, what's the problem? And he talked to him about his shoulder and he said, hey, can I pray for you? And the guy said yes. And so he actually went out and he had his dad... Uh, he called his dad on the phone, and he and his dad together prayed for this young man who had his shoulder healed and restored and went back to practice the next day. And I only assumed that the young gentleman got to go in and use the restroom because that guy hurried himself along. Everybody was winning on that one. But the thing that was awesome about that is, like, he's back there contending for God to do something. We are hoping to be a part of seeing God move. But then he's like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Let me tell you about some ways that I've seen God move crazy. There's an expectation. And here's the thing. When I was praying for that young man and he was looking and he was sensing and he was testing and he was wanting to see and he had a full expectation that God was going to be healing him. Why was that there? Because he'd seen God heal others. And he got to be part of that. And that's not, you know, something where, where he did it, where it's his strength. But there's an expectation. There's an expectation of faith that rises in us, in us when we believe that God will do what he says he will do. Not that he can do what he says he can do. I mean, that, that's helpful. At least you're acknowledging that God is. But there's a different faith being expressed when you say, no, I don't believe that he just can do what he can do. He will do what he said he would do. It changes everything. And so we remember what God has done. And with that thought, the psalmist begins to move in this hopeful arc. He moves away from this despair and this darkness closing in. He remembers what God has done. And then in verse 12, it says this, I will consider all of your works. Man, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to ruminate on this. I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to meditate on all of your mighty deeds. See, it's one thing to just remember that God has done something before. It's another thing to begin to kind of chew on it in your mind. 
And if you go back to the earlier verses, it's, he, he makes this statement where he says that he was meditating and his spirit grew faint. It's because he was meditating on the wrong thing. He was meditating on the lie. He was meditating on the idea. He was chewing on the idea that God was not attentive, that God was not listening, that God was not interested. And it led him to a place where he blamed God for the situation that he was experiencing. But now, all of a sudden, with this introduction that, man, I'm going to remember the things that God has done, now he's beginning to chew on and to meditate on, to ruminate on all of the things that God has done. And he moves from remembering what God has done to believing that he will do it again. Believing that he will do it again. And so, man, I prayed for this guy and God healed that guy. Well, then I can go to the prayer station and God can heal me. Like, why doesn't that make sense? It certainly should. And he moves from remembering what God has done to believing that God will do it again. And that is, is a, a, a movement where it talks about kind of meditation. There's a, a, a change of the diet of the mind in a sense. Several times in the New Testament, you and I are encouraged to be changed in the way that we think, to be renewed in the attitude of our minds over and over again. That's constantly something that Paul especially is encouraging followers of Christ to do in the church in general, to be renewed in the way that we think and in what we're thinking about and how we're thinking those things out. In fact, one of the ways that Paul says that we discern the will of God is through changing the way that we think about ourselves and the world around us. In that verse where he says to be renewed in the attitude of your minds, the result is that you would know with certainty God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he moves from this idea of, okay, I remember what God has done, and I'm going to believe that he is going to do it again, to beginning to act in faith. He actually takes a step and makes a declaration, and that's the verse that we began with this morning. In verse 14, he says, you are the God who performs miracles. Not you are the God who performed miracles in the past. Not you are the God who used to do stuff. You are the God that does it. You are the God that does it, and you display your power among the peoples. God, you do that, and he makes a declaration with his mouth. It's a step of faith. It's an alignment of not just what he's thinking, but now how he is going to live and set his face in the activity of the life that he lives with that certainty. We remember what God has done. We believe that he's going to do it again. And then we act in faith towards that end. We act in faith towards that end. When we were praying for that young man and he was contending for the Lord to do something, he began to try to put weight on it. He began to try to test it. He took steps of faith to see and to sense and to move with what God was doing. There was an alignment of not just his attitude of his heart or the thoughts in his head, but he put it into practice. It became a practical step of faith. And you and I, when it comes to seeing God move in power, demonstrating his might and walking into the things that would be miraculous demonstrations of his goodness and his care for us, we, we have to take steps of faith as well. See, that's why it's so important that you and I not just have kind of this 
cognitive assertion that God can do things, but that we have an expectation that he will. That moves us forward into the things. It moves us into practically trying to align what our experience is with what we believe our future is going to be because our God is a God of miracles. There's two helpful ways for you to take steps of faith, to, to, to act towards that end. If you've been reminded of what God has done, and if you believe that he will do it again, there's two ways that you can kind of take steps towards seeing that played out in your life. One is, I would say, pray persistently. Pray, contend. On several occasions, Jesus said to ask, seek, knock. There's results that come from that. There's parables that he uses on prayer that says, be persistent. Keep asking, keep asking, keep believing, keep believing, keep contending, keep contending. And then there's prepare practically. See, the way that you and I act out, take a step of faith towards seeing those things happen is we pray persistently, but then we prepare practically. So many times if you study the miracles of Jesus and his ministry, there were things that he asked people to do. He healed a blind guy by making mud with spit in the ground and wiping it on his face. I'm not sure if we're ready for that at the prayer station. <laughs> I would say that Jesus only did it like that one time, so it's not, like the, it's not like the template to do it. But then he told the guy, go wash your face. And it's like, yeah, that was first on my list after you licked my face with dirt, right? There, but there was a practical step of alignment, so many times, Old and New Testament, before somebody experienced a dramatic healing, there was something that they were, they were told to do, some way that they were shown to demonstrate their faith, practically apply it. There are things that you and I at times are contending for. Actually, we're not contending. We're hoping for. Let me lower that a little bit. We're hoping that God will do something different, but we're not preparing our lives for that difference to be made. So we're not really contending for it. There is no expectation. We don't actually have a great faith for it. We just hope things will be different tomorrow, but we're not going to prepare for anything to be different ever. See, that, that's part of that aligning the expectation of our lives. There's like this openness and this reception to the things of God. Can I tell you, like, if, if, if you need God to do something miraculous in your life, he doesn't need you necessarily to go to the prayer station for that to happen. You don't have to make an appointment with the pastor for that to happen. You don't have to seek out others for that to happen. God can and sometimes does do that, circumventing all of those things. But you actually may need to go to, pray, to the prayer station or make an appointment with the pastor or share that with somebody in confidence because you need to take that step of faith to demonstrate that you believe God is going to do it, that, that you can open yourself up to receiving that. Prepare practically. When I was in my second or third year of Bible college, I was interning as a, a youth leader at a large church in Southern California, and our youth pastor was getting ready to take a number of our high schoolers on a missions trip. They were going to Honduras. There was another, uh, uh, there was another intern. I was in Bible college with him, and he was going to go on that trip. He had kind of raised his hand, said that he wanted to go. I wasn't really that interested and was kind of dipping out, and I was just going to keep doing the things that I was doing. And so my friend was going to go on this trip. There was a number of students that all, had all gathered. They had bought plane tickets, and they were ready to go. 
And then it was only like three weeks out, maybe four, that other gentleman wasn't going to be able to go on the trip. And my youth pastor came to me and said, hey, I need you to go to Honduras. Bro, I'm not planning on going to Honduras. And he's like, well, you are now. I need you to go to Honduras. I need you to get ready. And, and I think that the Lord is moving this for you to be a part of this. And I said, I haven't done any fundraising. I don't have any money to go to Honduras. Like, you guys have been planning for six months. I've been doing nothing for six months. And he said, you don't worry about that. I'll make sure that we've got the provision for you to go. I think that you need to go to Honduras. And then I said, I don't have a passport. We're inside three weeks at this part. Okay, and there's no, like, online passport portal. This is in the late 90s, right? So I didn't... No cell phone. Like some of you are like, oh, ancient times. <laughs> and it was. I had all my paper documentation. I had to drive two hours to find a place. I said, there's no time for this to happen. There's, there's no, but I, I mean, I'll see what I can do. So I made an appointment and I went and I got my picture taken. I turned in all my paperwork. I said, hey, is there any way you can speed this along? Because I got a trip that is coming real fast. And the lady said, that's never going to happen. Paid for my passport, turned it all in. There was no way to look online. There was no way to check to see what your progress looked like. None of that stuff existed. Just went back home. And over the next several weeks, as we waited, I went to the trainings, I went to the meetings. I went through the motions as if I was going to go, knowing that without that passport, there was no way for me to go. The last week ended up closing up. Saturday, the mail came. There was nothing in the mail. We had service on Sunday. We were leaving Monday afternoon, catching red-eye flight out of LAX for Tegucigalpa in Honduras. I went to work that morning put in my hours, brought all of my stuff to the church, all of my things packed for that trip, had them load my stuff in the van. And I called my mom at about three o'clock in the afternoon, something like that, and I just said, hey, everything's loaded up. Has the mail come? And the mail came, and in the mail was my passport. And we loaded up in the van, and we drove by the house, and we picked up my passport from my mom through the window, and we went to the airport. And it's the first international stamp I ever had. Reminds me of that trip and the miraculous timing of God's provision. There was no way that it should have happened. And I share you with the, the story with you not to illustrate that God can do the miraculous, but to posit this question to you, what would have happened if I had prepared to not go? If I would have just said, it's hopeless. If I would have just said, you know what, there's, there's no chance. I talked to the nice lady and she told me no real nicely. If I hadn't gone to the meetings and prepared, if I hadn't built the rapport with the team, if I hadn't packed, if I hadn't loaded up, if I hadn't gone to the, egg, to the very last minute, I would have gone home from work that day. And I would have walked in my house 
and my passport would have been sitting on the counter and the team would have already been gone. And God would have done his part, but I was not ready to receive what he was doing. See, God can, and I, I believe that everybody in here would agree with that. Even if you're like a pre-believer, even if you're like not really sure about the whole God thing. But if God is, then yeah, I believe that he, but will he? Will he? See, that changes everything for you and I. Changes everything for you and I. Church family, if you would stand, we're going to take a few moments to respond this morning. Worship team, if you would come forward. I'm going to ask you for just these next few moments to close your eyes, just as a way of closing out distractions around you, not for any other reason than that. And I want to ask you a series of questions for you to just kind of wrestle with the Holy Spirit on. And the first one is this, where are you facing impossibility in your life? Maybe you're walking through a pretty difficult medical diagnosis. Maybe you're feeling the effects of the economy. Maybe your relationships are in fracture or in upheaval, or maybe you're just in kind of that dark night of the soul where you don't, you don't have faith. You don't have an expectation that God hears you or even knows what's going on in your life. Maybe there's a place in your life that you know that you need God to move with power, but you've already accepted to just have things be the way that they are that rather than preparing for God to do something miraculous and dramatic, you've actually settled in to making room for the brokenness in your life. What would it look like this morning if we chose to surrender those impossible places to the Lord? To surrender our impossibility to the God of the impossible. Lord, we have needs in our lives. Lord, there's things that we can remember that you've walked us through. There's present struggles that we find ourselves in. Lord, there are things in our tomorrow that we're not aware of, but they will be challenges for us. And God, we surrender those things to you. And Lord, we ask that you would move our hearts, that you would increase our faith to move past the idea of you're a God who can to a, a certainty that you are a God who will that we will remember what you have done, that we will believe that you would do it again, and that we would act in faith towards that being a part of our experience. Lord, we surrender those things to you. And Lord, this week for my friends here, I pray that you would move us to take steps of faith, that we would begin to pray persistently, that we would continually ask and seek and knock for the places that we need to see breakthrough in our lives. And Lord, that we would prepare practically, that we would prepare ourselves, our hearts, uh, our schedules, uh, the health of our finances, Lord, our time, that we would prepare our, our stuff, that we would put our homes in order, Lord, that we would put our lives in order to partner with the things that you are doing, that we would prepare practically. Lord, that when the miraculous takes place, even at that last moment, as the seconds are ticking down, that we were ready all along to receive that. We invite you to move in that way in us. And Lord, give us voice this week to share our stories. 
names, each heart here, each person here. Lord, given eyes to see, we'll see the places where you have demonstrated the miraculous. Miracles of protection and provision. Miracles of reconciliation and redemption. Miracles of your timing and your favor. Miracles of deliverance and salvation. Miracles of healing. Lord, give us courageous faith to share those with one another, that we would see that not only are you the God that can and that you are the God that will, but that you are the God that is doing those things right now. And that we would have our faith and expectation rise as a result of that, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got three action steps for you this week, just play ways that you can practically move forward on some of the stuff that we were talking about this morning. Number one is just be honest and consider the impossibilities that you're facing. Acknowledge, acknowledge where you are entertaining despair. Be mindful of kind of that doubt and that slide. And then number three, respond prayerfully and practically in faith that God's going to move and make a difference. He not only can, he's the God that will.